This verse speaks to the grace of God. It speaks to the love of God. And it captures the essence of the Bible that, that he's a God of second chances. That he's a God of second chances. Aren't you glad for another time? Aren't you glad for a second chance? Aren't you grateful for the patience of God on your life? He is the God of second chances. He's the God who does not give up on his people. He keeps coming back over and over and over again. If you're not dead, God's not done. And no matter how far we've ran or what we've done, God always gives us a second chance. He always gives us a second chance. And even when most people would have been done with Jonah, God wasn't done with Jonah and he's not done with you. We are in week three of a teaching series today called uh, Runaway People. And it's a series that's really built on the life of Jonah. Uh, and, and so we've been learning, we've been teaching through the book of Jonah. Today we'll be in Jonah chapter 3. And uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed this series personally just because, man, Jonah's somebody I relate to. <laughs> you know, like, like Jonah's known as this runaway prophet. I, I feel like, man, I have so many stories in my life of where God has wanted me to go this way and I've gone the opposite direction. Is there anybody that can relate to, to me this morning. Am I, am I all alone? Okay, you know, Jonah is so relatable because so often we know what God would want us to do, and yet we still go the other way. Today we'll be in Jonah chapter 3. I want to just read the 10 verses here in this chapter, and then uh, we'll, get, we'll get into the, uh, the meat of the message. So it says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By, decree, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It says in verse 10 that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come before you today and we ask for, for just uh, your blessing to be on your word today. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you that uh, all of us are here uh, by, uh, and none of it's by accident. I, I believe that you have uh, purpose and you have a word that you want to challenge all of us we're, uh, with here today. And so I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth uh, that is found in your scriptures. And we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Many of you won't know this, but knowing me, it may not come as a surprise to learn that I have a dad who hates to lose. He hates to lose. And uh, hate, I mean, hates it. And so uh, dad, dad hates losing, you know, so much that, that every time he does lose, he's well known in our family to suggest that we play again. You know, anybody have a dad like that? Um, and so he hates losing so much, right, that, that he'll suggest that we play again and again and again until he has finally won, and then he can sort of walk off with that smirk of victory on his face. Like, that's, that's my dad, okay? So, you know, in defeat, he will say things like, well, let's, let's try it again, or, man, let's do that one more time, right? That's, that's my dad. And um, to which I'm always like, hey, dad, you know, if you finally beat me on the fourth try, does that really make you a winner? You know, I don't, I don't think that makes you... A winner, okay? You've already lost three times. So um, I'm just tired of winning. That's why, that's why you won. So nevertheless, you know, my dad is highly competitive. He, he, uh, he likes to win, and uh, he likes to have another try. He likes to 
have a mulligan. He likes to have a second chance. Very similar to Jonah in this. In fact, the story of Jonah, if you're taking notes, is this. It's a story of repentance and second chances. So the story is all about. It's a story of repentance and second chances. And what you're going to notice today in Jonah 3 is that Jonah really gets a mulligan, right? He gets a second chance all because he's willing to repent. All throughout the Bible, what we find story after story after story is that repentance is what leads to second chances. That's, that's really the story of the gospel for us, right? That our repentance, it leads to this second chance. Now, that's, that's a word that we struggle with. Repentance is kind of this old word. It's kind of this old-fashioned word. A lot of us, you know, don't use it a whole lot. It's usually a word that's like reserved strictly for inside the church. And there are people now who are outside of the church, maybe raised up in the church, who that word kind of brings some PTSD. And, and yet it's a really important word for us to get and to understand. So many people view repentance as like a bad word. It conjures up certain images. It, it, it's, it's this bad word that, 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 that can like trigger people emotionally or they view it as this bad word that can trigger them emotionally. When they hear the word repent, many people often think of religious and moral baggage, you know, that they've carried. Uh, it conjures up images of moralism, you know, just, you know, get your act together, be good. When we hear the word repent, we often understand it this way, like to clean up your act, to clean up your dirty sins, to get away from those dirty sins, to clean yourself up, right, to make yourself more presentable before the Lord. And we often think about uh, repentance this way. So many of us, when we think about repentance, we immediately like, like, like draw up those images of like the street preacher in Times Square, New York, right, who is saying things like repent of your sins or turn and burn. Maybe some of these uh, pictures I want to show you on the screen are, are ones that you've seen before. You know, images like this, this is kind of where we, we sometimes think of the word repent, like repent or perish. Or you can show this next one. It's, it's essentially the same thing. You know, preachers out there saying things like God hates you or, or, or whatever, and uh, repent or you're, you're going to go to hell. You can show that next one too. I'm not sure what else, what else we got there. So I was, uh, years ago, 2004, I was in uh, West Hollywood uh, on a, a missions trip with the LA Dream Center and uh, had an opportunity to go, to go down to do some street witnessing. Uh, if you've never done that, it's interesting, um, especially in, in West Hollywood. Uh, we were down in uh, the, the gay bar district doing street witnessing. It was interesting. And so we went down there and, you know, our approach, if you know me, it's, it's like, I just want to I'll strike up conversation. I want to get to know somebody. I want to give them hope. I'm not, I'm not looking there to just like, you know, in 30 seconds, you know, have a, a conversion or bring, you know, I just want, I want people to know because they interacted with me um, that, that, that somebody loves them and that, and that ultimately there's something different about me maybe as, as a follower of Jesus than what they've experienced from other people who claim to be Jesus people. And so, uh, interesting situation that night is, is I was talking to, to, to many different people, um, and, and they were wonderful, but across the street, from directly across the street, there was one of these angry preachers. He's got the, the sandwich board sign on, it's, he's got the, the bullhorn, he's yelling at everybody, telling them that they're going to hell and they need to repent and all that stuff. And, and I just, it was an interesting moment for me to see the, the stark contrast between you know, uh, one of the angry street preachers and like the approach we were trying to take with, with, with others. And I think that, that I, I just, I bring that up because I think that sometimes these are the images that we have, that so many times when we hear the word repentance, that word is heard through a lens of moralism and judgmentalism. And yet I think it's such a misunderstanding of what repentance really means. And as a result, I think, I think because we misunderstand it or we think it's this and not that, like it can become very easy for us to to repent in such a way that it makes no real difference in our lives, which begs the question, is that even repentance? I would tell you, just in my understanding of the word and how I read it in Scripture, I think that repentance is one of the most beautiful and most urgent words that we have in the entire Bible. It's a word about God's amazing grace. It's a, it's, it's a word that, that, uh, that urgently calls us to follow God. And so what I want to do this morning is just, is just really attempt to sort of reframe it for some of us, kind of, kind of help all of us sort of have a different perspective on what this word is, and, and, and I think it, it'll, it'll, 
uh, maybe make a difference for you. The word repent, I want to define it this way. It's uh, to turn away from a life ruled by ourselves to a life ruled by God. That's what repentance is. That's what it means to repent, to turn away from a life ruled by ourselves to a life ruled by God. In other words, it's a change in direction. So like I was going this way, and now I am going this way. That's what it means to repent. It's so much more than just feeling remorse. Repentance is so much more than just feeling bad, feeling some guilt or shame, so much more than feeling sorry for doing something wrong, right? It's so much more than just words even, so much more than just a prayer. Like so often when we think of repentance, we think about it as, you know, like, like crying, you know, like serious tears and like praying prayers of repentance before God. Repentance is so much more than that. It's, it's action, it's movement. It's quite literally changing the way that you live. It's I was going this way and now I'm going that way. Rep- lean in for a second. Repentance is this. It's a dethroning of oneself and an enthroning of Jesus upon the heart. That's what repentance is. It's a dethroning of myself and then an enthroning of Jesus upon my heart. And so the book of Jonah is this. This is what the book of Jonah is. It's, it's quite literally a story of repentance. And so with that in mind, I want us to kind of recap where we've been and then, and then push into Jonah chapter three here this morning. We began the series a few weeks ago looking at this idea of how Jonah's story is really our story. Right, that there's a Jonah in all of us. He's known as this runaway prophet. And so often the people of God throughout history have been known as a runaway people. Like I mentioned at the beginning, right? People who hear God say this and they're like, I don't think so. I want to go in another direction. How many of y'all know that sometimes God will ask you to do things that you don't really want to do? You ever, you ever just, you know, felt that? You ever just felt like God was asking you to do something and you're like, yeah, I'd rather not, or thanks but no thanks, you know? I think this happens all the time. That's why we relate to Jonah, right? Because we get, we get that tension of like, yeah, God, I don't know. Like, I don't think I really heard you right. Must have been some bad pizza. And so as we look at the story of Jonah, j- just remember a few things here as I, as I recap. Jonah is a prophet. He's a man of God. He's a prophet, meaning that he is someone who is uniquely chosen by God to speak for God, to speak on behalf of God to the people of that time. So it kind of goes like this, right? God speaks to him, and then he carries this message to the people. That's how it works. And even though Jonah is a prophet, even though he is a man of God, and he's, he's one of the, the minor prophets, we, we know Jonah, history knows Jonah as someone who made a bad choice. Right? Like, that's, that's what he is known for. I wonder how many of us can relate to this. You've ever had a season in your, in your life that was defined by a bad decision or a bad choice? Right? Jonah is a man of God. He's a prophet. He actually does some pretty good things. But history remembers Jonah for his bad decision. So one day, the story goes that one day God speaks to Jonah tells him to go to the great city of Nineveh and to preach against all the sin and all the evil and all the wickedness that is happening there. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire located in you know, modern-day northern Iraq. And at the time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world. Nineveh is a place that is even known to this day for how barbaric it was. Like they, they would do horrible, torturous things to anyone who opposed their ways. Anyone. And so you can perhaps understand that Jonah doesn't want to do what God has asked him to do. Like I'd rather not die. You know, anybody, anybody get that? Like understand what's going on here? So instead of obeying God, Jonah gets on a boat headed for a city called Tarshish. Try saying that five times in a row. Um, Starts heading for Tarshish, which is on the southern port of what is now modern-day Spain. So he goes in the opposite direction to a city located 2,500 miles in, in, in a different direction than where God wanted him to go, running from the call and the command of God that is upon his life. It's interesting, when you, when you read Jonah chapter 1, and it says that Jonah ran away from the Lord. He ran away, other translations say he ran from the presence 
of God, that, that Hebrew word for running away, it, it literally means to walk away from an audience with the king. So you see a man of God, a prophet of God who hears from the Lord, who speaks on God's behalf to his people, and, and God tells him to do something. He's like, I don't think so. He has audience with God, audience with the king, and he, he literally is trying to run away or walk away from, from that kind of relationship, that kind of proximity, that kind of access to God. He's attempting to run from the presence of the Lord. And I just, I just kind of had this thought this week as I was prepping this message, um, and it's this about the presence of the Lord, if you're taking notes, that the presence of God is healing and peace for those that seek it, but for those who run from it, it's haunting because you cannot escape the presence of God. You can't escape it. And you see this in Jonah's life, right? Like everywhere he goes, it's like he's trying to outrun God and he just can't. It's like, would you just leave me alone? Like he, you, ever, you ever just felt that? You ever, you ever had a time of running from God and, and maybe you've had a mom or a grandma or somebody just on their face praying for you and you just know you can't outrun those prayers. You can't outrun God. God is, is he's there. It's like, would you just stop? And that's what Jonah's like in this story. He's trying to outrun God. And, and so this boat, it leaves the port and it's headed for Tarshish. The Bible tells us that God very literally threw the ocean into a violent storm. So God throws the the, the ocean into this violent storm and the, the sailors begin to fear for their lives because the boat seems destined to fall apart. Like, it, it's just, it's not gonna, not gonna make it. And so while everyone is, is fearing for their life, as, as you know the story, like, Jonah is, is fast asleep down below deck. Can you, I mean, right, can you imagine? Like, the man of God, asleep below deck, like, the ship captain has to come down below wake him up and rebukes him for not praying to his God. Everybody else on the boat is praying to their God, like, like hoping one takes, you know, like they all have different gods, like pagans, uh, pagan gods they're worshiping. Everyone's praying to their God, and he's like, hey, why aren't you praying to yours? Jonah gets up, and an interesting thing here, he is rebuked by a pagan captain for not praying to his God. Jonah hasn't spoken to God since Jonah 1.1. And this is an opportunity for him to speak to God, and he doesn't, he doesn't take this, this opportunity. He's rebuked for not praying, but we don't see Jonah begin to pray. So he goes up on deck. The sailors all gather around him, and they begin to cast lots to determine who's responsible for the great storm that has come upon them. The lot falls on Jonah. This is basically a, a superstitious way to sort of uh, make a decision. So this is what they would do. They would, they would, they would cast these, these lots. It's, kind of, it, it, it's superstitious, almost like a gambling in a way. Uh, but they believed that, that, that like the gods would be able to weigh in on the outcome, on the decision. And so this was really superstitious. So they cast these lots, and they're thinking, okay, we'll find out who's responsible because the lot will fall on whoever is. And, and it happens to fall on Jonah. God actually uses this, this, this situation to pick out Jonah from the, from the group. Jonah confesses to them that he is a Hebrew who serves the one true God and that he's running from his God and that the only way for the storm to stop is for them to, you know, throw him overboard into the raging sea. And as you read the story, you find that the sailors don't want to do that. They don't want to be responsible for the blood of Jonah and his, and his life, taking his life. And so they try to find any other way. They try to row back to shore, you know, row harder, row faster. They try to lighten the, the, the load of the ship. They throw things into the water. Nothing works. Finally, they relent. And they're like, all right, I guess we got to do this. And they throw Jonah overboard. And I just wonder today how many of you can relate to Jonah like I can. Can you relate to the fact that a poor decision ultimately impacted others and then a ripple effect took place where you're now reaping the effects of that bad decision. This is Jonah. Jonah is all alone now, right? He is swimming in the midst of a raging sea. Think about that. He's swimming in the midst of a raging sea, and he finds himself not dead, but also not really alive. Like, he's not really, he's not really living and thriving here. He's not quite dead yet, but he's on his way. How many of us can relate to that? Maybe you know what it's like to have a spiritual life that's not dead, but it's also not alive. Maybe some of us know what it's like to have a marriage that's not dead, but it's also 
not really alive or a career that's not dead, but it's also not alive. This is the in-between space where Jonah is at in this story. He, he's, he's not really living, but he's also not quite dead yet. This is where he finds himself in the middle of the sea. But here's what happens. I don't, want us to, I don't want us to miss this. This is what happens if you're taking notes. All alone in the middle of the raging sea, Jonah, for the first time in this story, finds himself in the middle of God's will. It's the first time in the entire story. He's been a man of disobedience. He's gone the other direction. Because, you see, God never wanted Jonah on the boat. And while on the boat, Jonah wasn't where God you know, wanted him to be. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Every, you know, the entire time he's on this boat. And so getting off the boat was the first time in this story that Jonah took a step of obedience to get back to where God wanted him to be, even though obedience looked like death. It's, it's just crazy. This is the first time in the story. And it's at this exact moment, right, where he is all alone. He's in the midst of a storm, raging sea. Jonah looked like a dead man. At this exact moment that God sent what the Bible describes as a great fish. Some people picture like a whale, we don't know, a Loch Ness. Uh, it, it's a great fish, right? So, and it swallows Jonah whole and he stays inside the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus actually speaks about this when he predicts his own death, burial, and resurrection. He talks about Jonah and says that the Son of Man will do, will do this. He will, you know, uh, he will be buried for three days and we'll come back to life. It's really, be here in a, in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about that, um, how Jesus is a better Jonah. But um, inside the belly of the fish is where Jonah starts to talk to God again. It's the first time. They've broke, relationships been severed. It's been broken. Jonah doesn't want God. He doesn't want to talk to God. Every time he's had a chance Every time, like when the, when the captain tells him to pray, he doesn't do it. When, when the sailors on the ship ask him why he, you know, why they're in this storm, he says, it's me, I'm running from God. This isn't a moment where he begins to repent and begins to just call on God. Every, every chance he's had to speak to God, uh, he doesn't take it. Now he's in the belly of the fish, and this is the first time in the story where he starts to talk to God again. He starts to, to, to re-engage that relationship. It's where he prays some of the most gut-wrenching prayers that are just full of passion that we read in Jonah chapter 2. And it's in this place where his heart begins to soften again, and he finally surrenders fully to the Lord. He says, man, my life, take it, use it. The belly of the fish is where Jonah has reached the end of the road. He can no longer run, and so he turns back to God. And I, I love this story. Like, I just love it. Like, like it, it speaks so much to the character and the nature of God. That, that uh, Do you notice that God like, never loses sight of Jonah? Do you notice this? Like, he's running. Like, he, man, he is on a, he's on a ship that's destined, you know, for Tarshish, and, and God doesn't lose track of where he is. He's inside the belly of the fish. God doesn't lose sight of where he is. I want you to listen to me this morning. God always knows where you're at. He always knows where you're at, and, and you are never out of his sight. You may feel forgotten. You may feel ignored. You may feel like your prayers aren't being heard or being answered, um, but you got to hear me this morning. You are never out of his sight. And, and we see this because it's in the, in the belly of the fish that Jonah finds God. It's in the belly of the fish that God finds Jonah. You're never out of his sight. It's in the belly of the fish that Jonah gets right with God where he chooses obedience. And this is where he prays for three days straight. Now, it says at the very last verse of Jonah chapter two, after Jonah has prayed for three days straight, it says this, Jonah 2.10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Yuck. Right? Gross. Jonah's now on dry ground, and he's covered in nastiness. Right? Is, is that, that's probably a word. Like, in slime, in grossness. Like, he's covered in it. Like, and, and he is now on dry land. And this is the moment where we hear one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. A verse that summarizes all of Scripture. This right here, at this moment, where Jonah is now on dry ground, is where we hear a verse that gets to the essence of the character of God that is revealed all throughout Scripture. And it's in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It's really powerful, and you might miss it. 
if you don't really slow yourself down to catch it, this is, I think, one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. This verse speaks to the grace of God. It speaks to the love of God. And it captures the essence of the Bible that that he's a God of second chances. That he's a God of second chances. Aren't you glad for another time? Aren't you glad for a second chance? Aren't you grateful for the patience of God on your life? He is the God of second chances. He's the God who does not give up on his people. He keeps coming back over and over and over again. And this idea of God giving second chances, what we see here in Jonah 3, it's really figurative language. It's not, it's not literal. It's a figure of speech. And it, what it's communicating is that God's patience is unending. So it's not literal, meaning like you only get one more chance. Like, like, like God's giving Jonah a, a second and final chance. It, it's speaking of God's patience. Figurative language is telling us that, the, that, that God is, is patient with his people and that he keeps coming back again and again and again to us. Think of it like this. Like, like, like if, if, this, if this verse was written about me, it would say something like, the word of the Lord came to Jordan Lombard the 587th time. Or like, like for you, you know, like, like the word of the Lord came to you the 897th time. It just doesn't stop. He keeps coming back again and again and again and again. And so when it speaks of, 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 of a second time, it's really talking about God's patience towards his people. Now think about the implications of this verse. After everything that Jonah has done wrong, God still wants to use Jonah. Like, it makes no sense to me. If you had someone treat you like this, would you ever want to use them again? God is literally recalling Jonah. He called him, and now he's recalling him. He's calling him a second time. Think about the amazing love of God towards his runaway prophet here. Like, like though Jonah did everything he could to resist the first call of God after he repented, which means that you turn and go in the opposite direction, right? God called him again. But what's interesting to me about this story is like God is under no obligation to recycle Jonah. Is he? He's under no obligation. He does it here out of his mercy and out of his grace, but how is this even possible? He's done everything wrong. He's blown the assignment. I think of this all the time. Like I think of, I think of like Peter, you know, I think of Peter, how often, you know, he messed up and had to stick his foot in his mouth. I think of him cutting off the ear of a Roman soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, Jesus like, hey, that's not, that's not what we're doing. That's not, that's not the right way, you know. And, and, and yet, you would see, it would seem to me like, like maybe Jesus had had a plan for Peter, but now after Peter is cutting dude's ears off, and, and, and doesn't have control of his anger, that maybe Jesus would want to use somebody different. Like, hey, let's still bring Peter back. Like, he can still be part of the crew, but maybe let's, let's give this job to Thomas. Or not, maybe not Thomas. Maybe we'll give it to, like, I don't know, right? So that's the idea here. This is all throughout Scripture. What we see go on in, in so many other places is happening here with Jonah that God still wants to use him, that God's not done with him. And I, and I, and I, I struggle with it because like, I understand rescuing him. That's a better ending to the story. I understand not letting Jonah die in the ocean. That's a better ending. Like, but to still want to use him is pretty, pretty incredible. John Maxwell says this. He says, grace runs downhill. It met me at the bottom, not the top. Grace runs downhill. It met me at the bottom, not the top. In other words, I did not have my act together when I met Jesus. Paul tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It meets us at the bottom. Grace is a second chance. What I, th- what I think is interesting about the story, what I, what I see this to be true in my life, is that blowing the assignment isn't the same as blowing your calling. And there's a calling on his life. He's blown the assignment. But the calling is still true. The call of God is irrevocable, Scripture tells us. And so 
God commands Jonah a second time. He calls his, out his greatness. He calls him to uh, be the man that he's supposed to be, and he is to go to the great city of Nineveh. It says this in verse three, uh, and this, this is where the story gets good, right? It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. And this is what repentance looks like. This right here, Jonah 3.3, 3, is the, this is the moment Jonah actually repented, okay? His repentance wasn't in the prayers that he prayed while he was inside the fish. I mean, that was remorse. That was some guilt. That was some, some feeling of shame. That was being restored. That was, that, was, that was receiving love and grace. That wasn't repentance. His repentance was when he obeyed the Lord and he turned to start walking in, an, in the other direction towards Nineveh. That was repentance, and I just want to say some things to you today. Like, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm feeling, feeling just, just strongly about, about some things in this message. Like, and, and there's some good news on it. Like, if you're not dead, God's not done. You know? If you're not dead, God's not done. And no matter how far we've ran or what we've done, God always gives us a second chance. He always gives us a second chance. And even when most people would have been done with Jonah, God wasn't done with Jonah, and he's not done with you. How many of you are glad that you serve a God who didn't write you off the moment you messed up? He gives Jonah a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. I mean, I mean, Jonah gets a second chance after running off to Tarshish, right? He gets another chance when he's rebuked by the ship captain to finally turn himself around to God. He doesn't do that, doesn't start praying. That's a second chance. He gets a third chance, right, when the sailors confront him and say, hey, what's going on here? Like, like is this your fault? And... He doesn't, re- he doesn't repent to the Lord here. Like, he gets a, se- a third chance there. He gets thrown into the water, into the ocean. A, a, a great fish swallows him whole. That's a fourth chance. Like, he's given all of these chances. You think about the sailors on the ship. They're given a second chance. When we, when we see them, when they come into the scene, they're praying to their own God, their, their own pagan gods. Then we find them, like, shift gears, and they start praying to the one true God, and then, and then God's like, all right, cool, I'll, 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 I'll save you. Like, they didn't get it right the first time. They didn't, they didn't start praying to the right God the first time. They prayed to the right God the second time. And then we see the city of Nineveh, right? He gives Nineveh a second chance. And there's so much evil going on, and yet he gives them an opportunity to repent. The second chance God gives the evil city of Nineveh, it comes in the form of a sermon from Jonah. Now, when Jonah get, because when Jonah gets to the city of Nineveh, he begins to preach, right? That's what he's been asked to do, go preach against the evil that is taking place in the city of Nineveh. So he gets to Nineveh, and he starts to preach. It's a big city. It takes three days to get through it. So the first day he gets there, he just starts to preach. And his message is a very, 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 very simple sermon, a sermon that you don't need much time to prepare for. Now, like, just in comparison, I mean, I, I, I give a sermon every week, and just about, and, and, I, and I spend hours, you know, kind of pouring over, like, what are the right words to say, you know, um, uh, trying to figure out what I believe God wants to say to the people of New Point Church, you know, like, I'm, I'm putting time and effort and energy into this every week, and it just feels to me like it's not very fair because Jonah doesn't do any preparation. It was a simple sermon, a ser- sermon that could be delivered in three seconds. I know some of y'all would, would like that. A sermon delivered in three seconds. This is, what it, this is, what it, this is Jonah's sermon, Jonah 3, 4. It says, on the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, here's the sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer, right? Like, this is Jonah. Like, let's, let's close. That's the sermon. There's not even a mention about God in this sermon. There's not a mention of God's character. There's no mention of sin, no mention of injustice, no mention of repentance, no mention of forgiveness, no mention of mercy. There's none of that in this sermon. It's almost as if Jonah is intentionally trying to say as little as possible. It almost seems like he's not giving it his best shot after all that he's been through. It seems to be the most bare minimum sermon he could have ever given in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Other translations say overthrown. And yet after he's done speaking, do you know that the strangest thing happens? 
they actually believe. They actually believe. They believe his message. And they listen to Jonah and they repent. The people's hearts become broken. Tears start flowing. The Spirit of God comes upon them. There's conviction of sin. National revival breaks out in the form of repentance. This is every preacher's dream right here. And it's a terrible sermon. Like, like what? How, how does he get that out of that? That makes no sense. It's really interesting because what goes on here is massive levels of repentance. You find that God relented because, not because they, 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 were, they were full of tears and remorse. God relented not because they were saying all the right things. It says in Jonah 3, towards the end there, that, that he relented because they turned from their evil. They turned from their wickedness. They were going this way, and they went that way. They got a second chance because they repented. I think perhaps the most important lesson here is that Nineveh probably doesn't repent without Jonah first repenting. Jonah turning his life around is really what allowed him to be used to help other people turn their life around. It's all about repentance. I just got a few thoughts here on, on repentance that I want to give you, and, and we'll be done. I'm, I'm close. Um, sort of. Let me just give you a few thoughts on repentance, and we'll close, okay? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, noticed this, but repentance rarely feels good. Like, never has anyone ever woken up excited to repent that day. Like, like no one's like, oh, yeah, I get to repent today. Like, it's not that way. Repentance is a choice that doesn't rely upon how we feel, okay? Repentance is turning towards God and doing his will, whether you feel like it or not. This is what repentance is. And so when Jonah was vomited out of the fish on a dry land, like, he was finally saved. Like, like great, salvation has come to him. He's not going to die. But the assignment hadn't changed. God still, a second time, asked him to do the very thing that he had ran from the first time. The assignment hadn't changed. He's still asked to do something that he doesn't feel like doing. And what happens is oftentimes when God saves us, he will aim us in a particular direction that, and, and, and call us to walk that way. And it rarely ever feels good. It rarely ever feels good. The story of Jonah is a powerful reminder that a bad choice doesn't define you. The failure is a moment, it's not a person. Okay? That you and I are to be people who define ourselves the way God defines us, that we are to be people who remember what God remembers and forgets what God forgets. And this is really the story of Jonah here, right? Like, his, his, his repentance goes so much deeper than, than feelings. Like, like there, is, there is this desire to like, to like be who God has called him to be, to, to live this life the way he's supposed to, and, 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 and this understanding that God still has a plan for his life, and so he turns towards God and commits to doing God's will, whether he feels like it or not. But man, we live in a society right now that says basically that if it doesn't feel good, then don't do it, Right? That's kind of the world we live in, that you are to be governed by your appetites and that if it feels good, it must be good. But, but here's, here's the sharp contrast. Following Jesus is not always supposed to feel good. I mean, Jesus, Jesus makes that clear in John 10. He says, like, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's, he says, hey, following me, it's not going to always feel good. Jesus, Jesus explains this in the Gospels where he says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. That doesn't sound like giving in to your appetites. He says, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Hey, Jesus is like, hey, we, you, you want to follow me? Let's all go get crucified together. You know, pretty much. And so, Following Jesus isn't always supposed to feel good. In other words, like we don't forgive our enemies because it feels good, right? You understand that? We do these things out of a heart that longs to be obedient towards Jesus. Let me just, let me just tell you something about myself. 95% of the time that I pray, I would rather be doing something else. This is just me. 
I don't know, I don't know. Kind of nice to get that off my chest. Like 95% of the times that I pray, I, I, I would rather be doing something else. And you, I mean, some of you might be shocked by that, and you're like, oh, man, but you're like a pastor. And like, I don't have like this special, like, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. Like, I, I have all kinds of distractions. I have all kinds of things that, I, like, on my mind. Like, 95% of the time, I'm like, ah. Oh. When I pray, I don't, just don't feel like it. 95%. Anybody, is there anybody here like that with me? Okay. But following Jesus and doing the things that, that, that are necessary for our own growth are, are not contingent on it feeling good. Like praying when I don't feel like it still brings nourishment to my soul. It brings discipline to me. It starts to shape my life. If you're taking notes, repentance is a lifelong journey of turning back to God. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong journey. Every single day, like, I am distracted at some point. Like, I can, have, I can have a powerful time of prayer in the morning with God before I leave and go to work. I can be in the car on the way here to the office where I, as a church, where I am a pastor, and I just had a great time with God, and I can be in the car, and someone cuts me off, and I can tell you what, I'm distracted. My eyes are not on Jesus all of a sudden. Because every single day, right, the power of the flesh, the power of the world, the power of the Devil, they're trying to pull me away from that relationship with God. I feel it all the time. Maybe you do too. So repentance, listen to me, it's this ongoing and ongoing and ongoing turning back to God, and it's a lifelong journey. Every day I need to repent, not with like fancy words and prayers, not with like, like all this, this, this remorse and emotion. Sometimes maybe that's merited, but I, 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 need to, I need to repent every day, meaning that I need, to, I, need, I need to turn and walk differently for maybe where I've let myself walk that day. Like I'm like, man, I need to repent from that, meaning I need, I need to go the other direction. And then and secondly, let, let me just share this. Um, I believe that repentance is so much more than words, so much more than words. I kind of already hit that. But do you notice how Nineveh's repentance went deeper than their words in this story? Like they, they weep, they pray, they fast as a nation. They turn from their evil, from their violence. There's so much more than words and feelings. It's not about just feeling remorse in this story. They didn't just say they were sorry. They put action to their convictions. And this is what repentance is. It's action. It's movement in the opposite direction from where you've been going. So, so frame it up like that, right? Maybe, maybe you look at repentance differently now. It's movement in the opposite direction from where you've been. So, so what does it mean to repent then, practically? What does it mean to repent from, I don't know, like from greed? What does it mean to repent from greed? Not just to feel bad about it. Repentance from greed might mean that you need to start practicing generosity. That's what it means to go in the other direction. Like, not to just feel remorse, but to, I want to become generous. Right? Is that repentance? Repentance from you know, maybe your disgust towards people of a certain political persuasion. What does it mean to repent from that? It might mean that you stop watching cable news and actually start to pray for these people. That would be repentance. God, my heart has been all wound up. It's not been right. Like, I have been so caught up in, you know, politics and all that stuff in an inappropriate way. And repentance could actually be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unplug from all that influence on my life, and I'm going to start to pray for these people. That's repentance, going in the opposite direction. What does it mean to repent from maybe like your indifference to the poor? It might, it might mean that you start volunteering with our food pantry on Wednesdays here at the church. That is, that is turning and going in the opposite direction. That's, it's repentance. So again, remember, to repent is to turn away from a life that's ruled by ourselves to a life that is ruled by God. We want to be people of repentance, Amen. Amen. We're going to invite the, the team up. You know, whenever I read Jonah's story, uh, it's never lost on me that God wants to save Nineveh. You, I mean, is that, is that amazing to you? Like, I just stop and I'm like, he wants to save these people. I mean, these are the most barbaric, torturous people on the face of the earth. So much evil and violence godless people, God wants to save them. 
And you know what, it, you know what it, 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 it reminds me? It reminds me that there is no place that is too dark that God won't go. That there is no place too hopeless that God can't save. Let me, let me just say that again. There is no place too dark that God won't go, and there is no place too hopeless that God cannot save. And, and what we see here in the story is that he'll find you in the middle of a storm. He'll find you in, in, in the middle of a, of, 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 of a belly of a fish, right? He'll... he'll meet you in the evil city of Nineveh. There's no place too dark and no place too hopeless. God's not, a, God's not afraid of sin because he has a solution for it. He's not afraid to be close to it or near it because he knows that it, that it has been defeated. There's no place too dark. Because thank you, Jesus, a bad choice doesn't disqualify you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. Thank you, Jesus, a bad choice does not disqualify you. Amen? Some of you know the story of uh, John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader in the 1700s. Many years ago, he was traveling on a boat filled with slaves across the ocean to the Caribbean islands where he was planning to sell these slaves. And they're crossing the Atlantic Ocean, and all of a sudden, a storm comes upon them, a huge storm. And it was so bad that John Newton was certain that they were not going to survive. I mean, very similar to Jonah's story in that regard. And as he was facing death, the story goes that Newton began to reflect on his life and how he had gotten so far off track. He grew up in a family kind of full of faith, like his mom had uh, hopes that he would go into the ministry and, and be, a, be a minister, and he's facing death, right? And he's reflecting on his life, began to reflect on how he had lived a life so far from God. And so here in the middle of the ocean, staring death in the face, listening to fear and panic come from the men and the slaves aboard his ship, John Newton decides in that moment to give his life to Jesus. All right, better late than never. He gives his life to Jesus. And it is in that moment that John Newton began to write the famous words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The beautiful song that we still sing to this day. Which, spoiler alert, right? Obviously, if we're singing that song today, he made it off the ship. The ship doesn't sink. Newton comes to England, comes back to England and enters into the ministry, changes his life. That's repentance, right? Becomes one of the leading advocates for the abolition of slavery in England. In fact, he was highly, highly influential in the life of his good friend, William Wilberforce, who was kind of the lightning rod for the abolition of slavery in England. Like, like they flipped it all around. Like here he is, here he is on this ship taking slaves to sell them. God gets a hold of his life on that ship. Amazing grace touches his life. He turns and goes in the opposite direction. That's repentance. And, and I think what I see in John Newton and what I see in Jonah is this thought right here. It's that the grace of God can propel you into the plan of God. It's meant to do that. The grace of God, which is unmerited favor. That's what it means. It's, it's favor that you do not merit, that you don't deserve it. The grace of God is intended to propel us into the plan of God for our life. It's a second chance. Grace is a second chance to propel us towards what God has for us. And so John Newton, like right in the story, right, he receives grace, amazing grace, and it propels him forward to use the remaining years of his life to make a difference for Jesus. So, look, I want you to grab grace for sure. No matter what's going on in your life today, I want you to grab grace, and I want you to move on. Grab grace and move on, but let it propel you towards the plan of God for your life. Same thing happens to Jonah, right? The grace of God on his life, the second chance, it propels him into the plan of God for his life. It says in Verse three, that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Powerful. He obeyed and he went. Repentance. Now Nineveh was, very, it was a very important city and a visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah started in the city. He proclaimed, right? He proclaimed 
Think about this. This is the grace of God. He's finally doing what he was, what he was meant to do because God wasn't done with him. And this grace on his life, it propels him to do the things that God wants him to do, that God wanted him to do in the first place. And he starts to proclaim, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Because the Ninevites believed God. Man, they believed God. God used this man to see revival hit like the largest city in the world at the time. They believed God and they declared a fast, all of them from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. You can ask me what sackcloth is later. Would you stand? Just bow your heads for a moment as we close in prayer and give some praise to God. Bow your heads with me. And if you're here today, and you would just say, hey, Pastor Jordan, I think I've been understanding repentance wrong. Now that, I, now that I've heard it this way, there are some things in my life, like I need, to, I, need to, I need to stop living a life that is, that is governed by myself, and I need to live a life that's, that's governed by God. I need to turn and go in the opposite direction on some things. Um, and, and today's the day, like it's time to repent. Could I, just, could I just encourage you in some prayer? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Every head's bowed in this place. It's time to just repent before the Lord. Time to just change directions, to alter course, to say, God, I'm gonna do it differently now. I'm not gonna continue to go in this direction. So Father God, in this place right now, I thank you for the honesty. I thank you for your spirit that is so gentle and good and kind that uh, your, your scriptures tell us that, that it is your loving kindness that, that, that draws us or brings us to repentance. And so in this place today, God, for every person just feeling the need to repent, to change the way that they're walking and to walk another way, I pray that they would encounter the kindness of God in this place. Not shame, not condemnation, but the kindness of God bringing them to repentance so that they can live the abundant life, the life that they were intended to live. And so, Lord, I pray healing right now, wholeness, strength to shift direction, to change course. God, God, right now, may we be people so committed to, to your thoughts and your ideas that you have for us that we are, we are motivated to live a life of obedience because we don't want to miss out on the good things you have for us. So may, may we be inspired by your kindness towards Nineveh. May we be inspired by the second chance you gave Jonah, by the second chance you gave, you gave John Newton, God. May we be inspired as we remember the goodness of the gospel of grace that has given all of us a second chance and may it cause us to walk differently, to live differently and to uh, yeah, make a difference with our life for eternity, oh God. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.